The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Joe Biden ventured out of his basement this week long enough to give a second major policy speech in as many weeks. This time, the subject was a plan to tackle climate change with an ambitious price tag, $2 trillion, that is, trillion with a T, over 10 years. That's on top of his $700 billion with a B economic revival plan announced last week. And my comments are available. While those numbers ought to be alarming in light of our continuously larger and larger federal budget deficit, you got to look at them in context. Biden's proposed decade of spending is less than either the CARES Act passed in April or the HEROES Act that the House has recently passed and the Senate is mulling over have already added to the deficit. And neither of those packages have rescued the economy from COVID-19, nor pre- prevented the precipitous slide of the U.S. economy into what is likely to be a long and painful period of recovery. Yes, first there will be a recession, and then there will be a recovery. The U.S. economy was probably due for a slowdown after a decade of rapid acceleration, but certainly not the level of dislocation and distress that we are experiencing during the continuing COVID crisis. In defense of former Vice President Biden's proposal, stimulus through government spending has been the go-to playbook for every president of either party since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It's not the what, the stimulus, it's the how, that he needs to correct. It's what he wants to do that has nuggets but needs improvement. This is the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems, I don't make them. And if I have one, I try to fix it, not make it worse. And in the vice president's proposals, I found some things to like, and some things to argue against strenuously. Let's start with the no. No, not agains. Some of which I addressed in my analysis of the former vice president's supply chain and manufacturing pitch last week. No, the government should not be choosing winners and losers in the pursuit of a clean energy future. Remember, Solyndra? You know, Joe, you were there. So yeah, you should remember Solyndra. And there is a lesson to be learned there. Innovation is a force which is released. It is not a force which the government can wish into being. Fossil fuels are never really, really good, especially for the economy. Uh, Especially, I'm sorry, for the environment. 
but some of them are better than others. You can't just wish them away with a swipe of a pen. A lot of our economy depends on some of those fossil fuels. And we're going to talk about that in more detail on another day. But you know what, Joe? You can't malign that industry as a segment because you know what? You are going to need it for the rest of your and my lifetimes and well beyond. And then there's Bernie Sanders playing the role of campaign surrogate, a role he plays badly. His radical embrace of AOC's of Ms. Cortez's Green New Deal was one of the factors that allowed you, Mr. Biden, to leave him in your dust rolling into South Carolina in February and beyond. You want to narrow your current two-digit advantage over the incumbent Donald J. Trump significantly? You, do you? Do you want to lose that advantage? Well, if you want to lose that advantage, just keep letting Sanders go on television and watch your, your leads shrink. Bernie's not out there to talk about the necessary compromise to hold the Democratic electorate together in November. No, Bernie is out there selling his radical vision, which plays right into the Trump playbook. And the voters have already made it clear that they see Bernie's vision as far too radical. But enough, enough of the what it, of the cautions, because there's a lot to like or that can be built upon in the vice president's plan. Let's start with jobs, American jobs. Yeah, traditional infrastructure jobs, whatever those really are developing new technologies that replace antiquated products and techniques. You know, we have a way of doing that in this country if you, if you enable the private sector instead of imposing on it. And most importantly, in both of the vice president's presentations has been a focus on buy American to build America. That's a different way of, of, of expressing um, what Donald Trump likes to call make America great again. Well, America's never not been great, but how to make America greater, you know, the preeminent for, force for good in the 21st century world, well, that's buy American to build America. I've long been an advocate of the idea that projects that are built with American taxpayer dollars on behalf of bolstering and enabling our people and our economy should be built from American products by American workers and craftsmen and women. That has certainly, however, not always been the case in reality. And if you want a huge, yawning example of how not to build or rebuild a major piece of American infrastructure, let's take as an example the new San Francisco Bay Bridge that was built after the major earthquake and took like almost 20 years to build it. You know, why? Well, because the Chinese grossly underbid U.S. steelmakers for the work to build the major structural components of the bridge. So what did the USA do? The USA 
paid China for those steel products, gave the Chinese the latest in steel product production technology, and China used our money to build the largest steel manufacturing plant in the world using our technology, all of it paid for by US taxpayers. Now tell me that that isn't just a crazy way to run a factory. And subsequently, they, what the Chinese have been able to do is underbid US manufacturers for steel products around the world, literally dumping steel and in the process doing great damage to the US domestic steel industry. And while all of, whilst all of this was happening, major sections of the San Francisco Bay Bridge were fabricated in China and literally floated across the Pacific Ocean and assembled in San Francisco Bay, which is why you already have corrosion on this almost brand new bridge. As a taxpayer, as a businesswoman, as somebody who knows that the more you make of something, the less it costs to make each of it, I've just never understood why it was not as simple as falling off a log that if the project was paid for by U.S. taxpayers, it ought to be built by U.S. workers made in the USA. So yes, Joe Biden, whether it's building new infrastructure, for example, new wind turbines, or rebuilding bridges, the steel used needs to be made in North America by workers who are earning at least $16 an hour and even much more for the skilled workers who actually fabricate the parts. The more tons of steel produced domestically, the less each ton costs to produce. More steel production means the price of other goods built from steel gets cheaper as well for you as a consumer, as well as other industry segments. For example, ship hulls or automobile frames, or rail cars, or high quality kitchen gadgets. All of those can be produced with United States steel, making many more good paying American jobs. But let's take just a second to talk about wind energy. You know, every time I hear somebody talk about new wind turbines, my eyes kind of roll back in my head. Um, I've invested in that energy segment, and I expect my great-great-great-grandchildren may get a little money out of that investment, <clears throat> because it's a great idea, but it's not a profitable enterprise yet. Non-dispatchable power, that's what wind and solar are, depend on weather conditions to actually produce power. If you have no wind, there is no power. If you have a ton of wind at night and no customers, well, you got a lot of wind, but a lot of electricity, but nobody's using it, so you can't sell it. The same is true of solar. So in order to create jobs manufacturing steel towers for wind turbines, you are going to have to first solve the problem of how to control the amount of energy produced and how to store it so that it can be dispatched on demand. And that is a trickier proposal than it appears because batteries, if you think about making a big pile of batteries in the desert or in under a field, um, batteries have their own toxicities for the planet and a really long um, half-life um, of toxins to release. So we need 
a better way to store that energy in order to make wind turbines profitable. And the other thing is that wind turbines are not a big job generator. Once you've assembled them and put them up, doesn't take many workers at all to maintain and operate them. Couple of people, big field, you're done. The same is true of solar, as we've discovered in the Mojave Desert of California. The theory was use the sun to heat the panels of the solar panels, which in turn would melt the desert sand, creating a molten chamber that gives off steam to run turbines that can generate electricity on demand. But the problem is you're in the middle of nowhere with this steam generated power and how to get it to market. It's been too expensive to get it to market. So Las Vegas went its own way um, and so did Southern California. And how to prevent earthquakes <laughs> that result uh, from melting the sand. Haven't tackled, figured that one out yet either. And we have enough earthquakes thanks to mother nature. So there's a lot of work to do before you can talk about either of these non-dispatchable power sources as a great job creator. And in the meantime, speaking of those nasty old time carbon-based fuels, you are still gonna need to use natural gas as a source for electric power generation as well as, as hydroelectric until you can do some things like, for example, um, tidal generation of electricity. In other words, using the ocean currents to drive the turbines, which is something that's being researched, but it's not something that was addressed in this proposal. Here's the deal. Step one in this clean power generation dream is research. We need to continue to do research and development of real clean energy solutions that have uh, size and scope and um, flexibility. And the question then becomes, should the government be driving the creation of those solutions? And the answer is kind of mixed. Because, you know, the government has always played a role in the funding of basic research. I mean, that's what universities do. That's why the Chinese like to send their graduate students here to spy on those university research efforts. Only one of the laboratories, I don't believe it's Livermore, works on using um, atomic energy for weapons purposes. Most of what the laboratories do these days is basic research in areas like clean energy. And then there is the Tennessee Valley Authority that does similar work. And then there is the National Science Foundation, which makes grants to US military, to DARPA, which is very interested in these types of, of solutions. Um, and to universities, et cetera. So yeah, the government has a role to play, but then along comes Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, who says, um, I'm gonna operate an worldwide global operation 
by 2025 that will be 100% carbon neutral. And I'm willing to spend $2 billion of my own money to fund climate research. Let's take him up on that promise. I mean, he's made it in writing. Let's take him up on it. Um, because I suspect that the research he funds, we're going to look at the difference in the size of the proposal. I suspect the research will be more targeted at solving real world problems. It will happen faster and it will cost a whole lot less money. And that, you know, I'm not saying that Biden's, you know, government funded research or Bezos fund, uh, funded, privately funded research is an either or. It's a both. But the question is, what are the appropriate roles for public and private investment in climate science? Who decides where and when specific projects get built or get fund, specific research gets funded? And then let's ask another question. We talk about, well, let's build infrastructure. Well, yeah, that's nice because infrastructure will make jobs. It makes me wonder, what infrastructure should we be building? We need to think about what will be needed to support industries we've not yet even imagined. Where will they be located? What kinds of raw materials will they need to get brought to them? How will they bring their products to market, etc.? We can't just repave the existing cow paths. We need to think beyond that. We need to think 20, 30, 40 years into the future. And Biden didn't even mention this all important question. It's not just a throwaway line in this podcast because I think it's very, very important to making a renewal of American infrastructure successful is where, what, when, why, and for what purpose. Just resurfacing existing highways and airports does not prepare this nation for the potential transformations that are coming in energy, as we've already talked about, and in other ways. You know, it's a lot more complicated than what Biden suggested in his speech this week, which was installing charging stations along highways. I mean, unless you can figure out how to recharge your Tesla in 10 minutes, that's not an answer. You know, putting a recharging station somewhere along um, a long stretch of what we call I-5, the main corridor between the Bay Area and Los Angeles in California. It's hot. There's nothing there <laughs> except fields and, and grass. It's not a place you want to park for eight hours while your Tesla recharges. So um, we've got to solve that, how fast the recharging takes place. That's one of those it's a lot more complicated than just installing recharging stations along highways. And what about what's coming? Commercial and solo owned vertical takeoff and landing drone type conveyances. Yep, they're already prototypes. Uber's already really interested in them. They'll be coming, they think, in the next five years. So let's even say 10 years. So how are you going to integrate them into a highway and airport system, grid type system um, 
and make all of this work together seamlessly. Nobody's thought about that. And then who is actually gonna build these new highways and transit systems? You know, this is not 1930. There are not enough rural bodies or bodies that are used to stoking steel, you know, co pushing coal into uh, steel ovens or to make iron ore into steel as there were in 1930. Um, there are not enough rural bodies, there are not enough people who today know how to or are willing to make their living with a pick and shovel anymore. That's what's created, it was a pick and shovel economy that created all of those uh, work product uh, or work agency jobs, uh, CCC, et cetera, in the 1930s. And that workforce doesn't exist anymore. So unions are going to need to develop aggressive apprenticeship programs to support multiple layers of remote and local construction work. Because you're going to pre-build a lot of this stuff and then bring it on to site and, and do the assembly work. I mean, that technique for that bridge is one that will be repeated frequently in any re um, infrastructure renewal environment. And what this means, as we compare it to previous stimulus efforts, is that means fewer workers, but each worker doing more complex automated work. And the unions can create apprenticeship programs, but what will the public school system do to shift its approach quickly enough to prepare students who are today in high school to be ready to do the work, and to, to have the background to be able to take advantage of these apprenticeship programs. How long do we have? They tell us a decade before climate change is irreversible. You know, it's not like we have a century to get these problems solved. The building trade unions in the United States have been decimated by being undercut for years and years now by less skilled but far less costly undocumented immigrant labor. So yes, I hear Joe Biden's pie in the sky promises of union jobs, um, which he then makes even more specific, minority owned businesses with union shops. And that is just pie, not even in the sky until there is also a rational, honest conversation about immigration that no one is talking about. And if the $2 trillion plan is to be paid for from higher taxes on high income earners and businesses, how much influence will business have on shaping the products, the highways and byways of our future? Well, if past is prologue, fighting and screaming, business will have a lot more to say than the bureaucracy. Why don't we change up the paradigm? Why don't business and the government work together to solve these problems? Especially because we all know that businesses do not pay taxes, consumers do. So whether your tax bracket goes up or not, you will be paying the taxes for this $2 trillion uh, initiative.
You know, back in 2016, I had a much better plan to fund an infrastructure bank with private capital. But alas, we got the cheap sugar high of one-year tax cuts in 2017, and it swallowed my idea whole, leaving us to wonder how to pay for infrastructure revitalization at all. You know, we can't just keep making up money out of thin air. What about working together? So here's an example. Both Joe Biden and Jeff Bezos have pledged to buy 100,000 electric-powered vehicles over the next several years. Wow. Well, what if they work together? They could accelerate the production of those vehicles in the United States, and with that greater volume and that smoothing out of the production line for uh, the American electrical manufacturing ind car industry, we could create a fleet of electrical cars for U.S. consumers that would have a pr price point closer to a Ford Escort than a Tesla. So more people could afford them. And that would give us cleaner air. I think many of the vice president's ideas are good. They're not fully baked. And they put too much focus on government-driven top-down decision-making. But they do put more meat on the bones than the current administration has dealt up. And they put meat on the bones that can be seasoned and shaped into a loaf and served as a slice of a reimagined America, a tangible commitment to a stronger, safer, healthier, and more prosperous union a decade from now. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>